it's a little bit of guesswork because what's what strings are we pulling that are doing the right thing? Because we're doing interior renovations as well. We've changed the management. We've changed the on-site staffing. Uh, we've changed our advertising. So we're doing many things. We're throwing a lot of things at the wall. So we're trying to go, okay, well, what's measurable? So it's, it's definitely challenging. But what we're seeing is we're seeing higher rents and we're seeing higher occupancy and to a great extent. So we feel like the things we're doing are bringing in a lot of good value. It is a common saying amongst real estate investors that you make money when you buy, not when you sell. While this catchy phrase has value, it fails to convey how easy it is to lose money through poor property management. Whether you self-manage or hire a professional, it is important to understand how to navigate the common pitfalls and challenges with rental properties without losing your shirt or your mind. That's why you have tuned in to Maximizing Your Property Value, the apartment owner's guide to operating rental properties as a successful business. I'm your host, John Stiles, real estate agent and team leader of the VIP Real Estate Group at Bridge Realty. As a current multifamily investor and former property manager myself, I understand the headaches and difficulties of keeping an investment property from becoming a money pit and time sucker. It takes a solid business plan, it takes tested systems, and it takes key team members to actually find success. So let's take a deep dive and maximize your property value. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Maximizing Your Property Value. I'm so excited that you're back joining us again. And I have a returning guest with us, Todd Dexheimer. Todd, thanks for coming into the office and to the uh, studio today. Yeah, John. Thanks for having me. And um, so if, if anybody's new to Todd, you know, you can go back to my first couple of episodes, one through five, I think it was, and you can uh, get a little bit of an introduction about who Todd is. Uh, of course, he's he also has his own podcast, Pillars of Wealth Creation. So there's lots of information where you can get kind of the background about Todd. But um, Todd, what's new in the last six months since you've been on my show? Uh, I mean, nothing too crazy. Uh, Just still trying to push along, find properties. Uh, I've really put a a lot of focus on trying to find some off-market deals. Um, And that's starting to, it seems like, come to fruition. We haven't quite got anything under contract, but we're starting to get some good conversations going. So that's uh, that's exciting, but uh, same, same type of thing. Still looking at pushing along, finding properties that have good value add, that have a good story to tell, um, and, uh, and keep on moving. Yeah. Are you still focusing on very same uh, markets as you have been, or have you switched any of that up recently? Uh, same markets. Uh, I've been doing a, a pretty good push to try to also focus here locally, uh, which I've kind of had for a while taken my focus off of the local market. But uh, one of the big focuses now is to try to bring some of that home. I shouldn't say bring it home because I still like the other markets a lot, but uh, try to buy some properties here locally as well. Okay. Yeah. Well, very good. So, and, um, again, if anybody wants to hear more about what Todd does uh, in that regard, you know, check out his podcast. And of course, check out the upcoming conference, North Star Real Estate Conference, which Todd and I are working on together. Yeah, yeah, it'll be an awesome conference. And last year was a, a big success, and I'm expecting the same this year. Yeah, for sure. It was it was a really great ex- experience, I thought. Yeah. And so I'm excited. 
Yeah, definitely. So, well, Todd, my show here has evolved a little bit since you were on. And what I'm trying to accomplish here is to help our listeners um, think more critically about their business planning when it comes to their rental properties. Mm. And so as you think about your own rental properties, what, what are some of the high-level things that you think of and make sure are in your business plan for your properties? Yeah, good good question. I mean, we could go quite deep with that. But I think first and foremost, it comes with who, who's your tenant base. Knowing your tenant base is going to be the most important uh, aspect. So understanding who your tenants are, understanding um, what they want, and then understanding what's in the market and maybe what you can do to achieve something that's uh, uh, going to serve your tenants and going to be better or different than the market, but also attracting the tenants that you want. I think it's going to be really important. So first first and foremost, really think about your tenants, what they're looking for, um, what's missing in the market, and how can you fill those voids. Um, and so, so as far as business plan goes, I mean, you, again, everybody's different. And, and so for me, I'm focusing on value add on my assets. So I'm looking at what I can bring to the table. So I want to put together a well thought out business plan of the just the different things that I need to do to be able to achieve the financial goals that I'm looking at. Because obviously we, we did our underwriting, put together that and decided, okay, we can get these rents and these expenses. So we, we just really want to focus on um, our business plan of what do we need to do? How long is it going to take? Um, who do we need to put in place? And that's really important. Who do we need to put in place to actually achieve that? Um, because without the right people, we can have a great business plan, but it's just not going to happen. So that needs to be part of your business plan is, is the team, the who, and, and then the process and how do we start from, from start to finish? Yeah. So I, I'm just going to kind of repeat back a couple of those key things. So kind of knowing who your customer is, who you're serving, you know, Mm -hmm. that tenant base, um, which obviously that can vary depending on the market oh, yeah. depending on the neighborhood depending on the property itself so well and, and john i mean you might be buying a property that has a certain tenant base but it might be the wrong tenant base for your property for whatever reason uh it might be the wrong tenant base for your property or for that neighborhood um and so you might be going and trying to change and attract a different tenant base um and, and so and that could be, I mean, you don't always necessarily want to change your tenant base to, we always think, oh, we're going to take our tenant base from these bad people and we're going to get these good people into our ten- into our property. But it doesn't necessarily mean we're, we're changing from, you know, A class or B class tenants to, or sorry, B class tenants to A class tenants or C class to, to, to B class, we might be actually doing the opposite. Sometimes we, there might be a reason why we say, well, we've got all these tenants in our property that are kind of B class, but we really need to step down to a C class because of the neighborhood that we're in. And we're going to attract a lot more income and we're going to attract better tenants. Hmm. That's an interesting concept. Uh, most people don't think about stepping down. What, what would be maybe an example where that would play out? Well, I mean, look, neighborhoods change, right? And so this neighborhood, 
Every every property when it's first built is an A-class property, a lot of times, most of the time, in an A-class neighborhood. And those neighborhoods change, and A-class doesn't always stay A-class. So maybe it's now a C-class property, but we still are trying. We're trying to feed these B-class tenants in there. We're trying to get them in there, but we're not having a lot of success. First of all, we're not getting any better rents. We're getting tenants that are, are very short-term because they once they get in, they don't want to stay because it's not their type of neighborhood. And the occupancy is low. And so we've got this fight that we're trying to get these B-class tenants into a C-class neighborhood. And that just doesn't work. And so we've got to look at our neighborhood. We've got to look at who desires to live there and feed them, right? And so if we can change it from a B-class to a C-class tenant base, that actually could, quite frankly, could play a lot better into our, into our property because now we're going to have a full building and we're going to be serving the right tenant versus serving the wrong tenant. So it's all about serving the right tenant, right? And yeah. It, it, yeah, a lot of times we're focusing on going from the C-class tenant to the B-class tenant, but we also have to focus on what's really happening around that area. Yeah. What would be a practical way that you would make that change in serving your tenants? I mean, would you reduce amenities or... Uh, no, you don't necessarily have to reduce amenities. And I, I, I wouldn't say you have to do anything negative to the property, right? It's just about who you're now marketing to okay. more than anything. So we're now marketing towards different tenant base. We're maybe changing, maybe before we were accepting tenants that were three and a half times the, the rent in income. And we weren't allowing certain things on their background. And so now we say, okay, well, we're going to accept two and a half times the rent amount, and we're going to allow X, Y, and Z to be able to happen on their background. And we're going to really push to advertise towards these types of tenants, towards this type of demographic. Maybe there's a certain demographic um, that's really prevalent in that area, and, and they have different, um, you know, different priorities, different thoughts of what it, they really like. And so we can start kind of changing our tenant to, or our, our property to, really cater towards that type of demographic. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. And then another thing you mentioned was team members. We'll get into that in a moment. Um, and as far as you talked about doing a value add, I know that's a key part of the type of properties you buy. Yeah. Um, can you talk about that a little bit and how, how do you get that into your business plan and how do you make it be successful? Uh, yeah, again, we, it goes back to the focusing on, on who we're getting to or who we're, we're trying to serve. But um, value add comes in all kinds of, kinds of flavors. Um, I like one, one big thing I really like to try to do um, that I think is different from a lot of people is I really want to focus on reducing my expenses. And so if I can reduce my expenses, those are recession proof. Okay. Right. So if I can get rid of the um, expense of the, the, the light fixtures or electricity, not, you're not getting rid of it. But if I can really take that down, right? So if I can put in LED lighting, if I can put in low flow toilets and fixtures and stuff like that, if I can make sure all the leaks are fixed, those are going to save me a ton of money. And then if I can come in with my CapEx, if I can come in with my, my budget and I can actually fix the items that are going to cause problems in the future and kind of make my property bulletproof, right? 
then I've reduced my expenses drastically. So now when something happens and the economy shifts, what do we have? We have a property that's still running nicely. My tenants, believe it or not, people, people always think, oh, you know, I want to raise my rents and do all this. And, you know, rents never go down. And, and you know, apartments are recession resistant. Well, I think that's a bunch of BS. Rents do go down. Look at history. Rents do go down. Occupancy does struggle during a recession. And so we want to make sure we're doing the things we can to reduce our expenses so that when a recession happens, guess what? Your expenses don't go up during a recession. They actually even go down further. So um, so that's big. We want to do things like I, like as, as I said there. And then we want to also try to increase rents if we can. If we have lower rents, which I look for properties that have lower rents below market value uh, or have occupancy issues too. So I want to increase my occupancy by better management, better serving my tenants, knowing who my tenants are, and then increasing the rents to market or slightly below market. We, we like to try to stay slightly below market if we can um, and have higher occupancy levels. Yeah. So we're, we're, you know, we're doing repairs typically. We're you know, replacing countertops, cabinets, um, flooring, paint, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, that makes a lot of sense. You know, in, even aside from a recession causing a decrease in rents, you know, all this new construction yeah. com- coming yeah. up around us with the new Class A properties may cause our properties to, uh, to you know, the rent to go down. Yep. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, if, if there's that downward pressure. Um, now, that's a, that's a very micro level, right? Because typically... Um, new construction is focused very much on certain markets or submarkets within, but it does it does affect to a lesser extent the macro. Um, so we're building a lot in the North Loop, um, and if we continue to build there, and you're seeing already high vacancy rates there, and you're continuing to see buildings going up there, well, that's greatly affecting that area. Um, but it still does affect like a Woodbury or a, a St. Paul, or but to a lesser extent. Yeah, very good. And then again, talking about business planning, are there any key aspects of your business plan that you think other people are overlooking? Oh boy, I mean, you know, I, I don't know, because I can't speak to other people, John. I, I really don't know, but I, I think... Um... Well, if maybe taking, for example, the, the um, properties you've looked at, where they've gone into disrepair and the owner was taking his eye off of it, you know, what could they have changed so that it didn't meet your criteria of one you'd like to buy? Yeah, I think, first of all, a lot of people get lazy and they treat their tenants as uh, a tenant, right? They don't treat them as their residents, as their customers. And so I think that's the biggest, and that's, that's kind of repetitive probably, but I think that's the biggest thing is you have to serve your your residents at your building. And if you're not serving your residents, if you're not truly treating them with the respect that they deserve, then you're going to have a poorly operating building, right? Because And, and it goes down to all kinds of things like cap, capital improvements. If you're not spending the money on capital improvements and repairs, well, then you're, you're actually negatively affecting your tenant base and they're going to not want to be there anymore, right? They're not going to want to pay the rent that they're you're charging. Um, you know, if you're not getting in and doing the repairs and maintenance, if you're not, um, 
if you're not advertising the right way, all that kind of stuff, if you're not giving them the right services that they deserve, you know, maybe or, or extra extra services. You know, we're trying to go above and beyond. We're trying to, you know, we've got a plan right now at one of our properties that we're doing a, a free breakfast uh, once a month. We're just doing a continental style breakfast once a month. People can come in and, you know, meet our staff and, and meet each other and doing stuff like that. So just a community thing, um, you know, and, and we're doing that along with a lot of other things to try to build the community, build awareness of why we're the greatest property around, right? And so you do little things like that, that's going to set yourself up. Uh, our business plan calls for us to be active in the community too, active in the in the uh, landlord and uh, the city groups that are, you know, in around. We want to show our presence there. So I think that's really important beyond, and, and something that I think a lot of struggling property owners don't think of is, what are some of the extra things we can do to really create that community, create that culture? People want to be in a positive place, right? You go, you go to work, you work your butt off all day, and you come home, and the last thing you want is this negative environment to be around. So let's create a positive environment. Yeah. So I think that's a big thing. I think that's the biggest thing that people mess up on. Yeah. Yeah, that's really important. I mean, we want our tenants homes to be an inviting place where yep. they feel comfortable uh, so that they want to stay there. Yeah. How many times have you heard somebody say, you know, it's, it's just a rental or, oh, it's, we're going to renovate this up to rental standards. Right. I don't believe that to be, that's, that's a terrible philosophy. If you're just renovating to rental standards, first of all, what does that mean? Like, are these tenants bad? Like these people that don't deserve something nice? Like, is that what you're trying to tell me? Like that's, I don't know. That's, that's a wrong philosophy. You need to be upgrading it to better than rental standards. And these are people's, the places that they live, like they want to bring their family to, they, you know, they, they want to have a place. Every single person, I don't care if you're rich or poor, every single person wants a place that they can call home and a place that they feel comfortable bringing people to. Yeah. So looking back at your experience of owning properties, can you point to an example where you have successfully uh, implemented an as a key aspect of your business plan? Just to help us see an example. Um. Yeah, I mean, there's uh, obviously there's been a lot. Um, we've got a, a property right now that we're working on. We're in the middle of still completing our business plan, and we've done several things to it. Um, first of all, it had no uh, amenities whatsoever, and so we added dog parks. We have now allowed pets to be at the property. Um, we have added a playground to serve with there's a lot of two bedrooms some three bedrooms so we've got a decent amount of kids there so we've added a playground we've added a grilling station um, we've added picnic tables uh, we've also added a community center so there we put in a new building um, and with a workout room and a whole community center so we've actually built that for our tenants um, we've done new signage. We put a security system in place. 
for our tenants. We put a gate system at the front of the property. So now when they drive in, there's gates. So they feel comfortable that no weirdos are going to come into the property, or at least less weirdos are going to come into the property. <laughs> We've secured that. We put a nice, classy looking, but just nice kind of fence around, not around the property, but just in the front of the property to really uh, not only look, we wanted it to be attractive, but also more of a, a safe feeling for our tenants. Um, and we've improved the landscaping, just the overall feel. So that's something that we've done to one of our properties um, uh, that was part of our business plan and really helped that feel of the property. We've also then developed community things like I was talking about where we do the breakfast and we um, have other things for our tenants that hopefully help build that community and the people wanting to be at the property. Yeah. Instead, people start talking about your properties in a positive way, you know you're doing things right. So you that's what you want is you want people to talk about your properties, but you want it to be a positive thing, <laughs> right, right? Right. And that they're gonna to want to move in. Yeah. Well, those all sound like really nice examples. I'm I'd like to go yeah, you check can, it out. You can move in. <laughs> How do you um, measure your ROI on these different investments? Because it seems like Everything you've just mentioned, um, I don't see an exact, you know, cause and effect of like, for example, the community center. You're not getting rent from the community center, I right, assume. Right. Yeah, it, it, it can be challenging, right? You've got to decide what's 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 important and what's not. So we we've, we've looked at adding a pool to this property. I don't think we're going to end up doing it because we don't feel like it probably will bring the uh, return on investment. You know, pool is going to cost us one hundred fifty thousand dollars, and I don't think we're going to get that bang for the buck. Um, how do you how do you measure a little bit of uh, it's a little bit of guesswork because what's what strings are we pulling that are doing the right thing because we're doing interior renovations as well we've changed the management we've changed the on-site staffing uh, we've changed our advertising so we're doing many things we're throwing a lot of things at the wall so we're trying to go okay well what's measurable so it's it's definitely challenging but what we're seeing is we're seeing higher rents and we're seeing higher occupancy and to a great extent. So we feel like the things we're doing are bringing in a lot of good value. Now you could do a one one little thing at a time to be able to measure it. Uh, we decided not to take that approach and just to execute our full business plan all at the same time. Um, now with that pool, that's still on the table. We still did budget for the pool but likely we won't put it in unless we feel like there is that ROI as we go. So if that's something our tenants really desire and we think we'll pay for that, then sure. But right now uh, we're seeing really good rent bumps. We're seeing a really good occupancy bump uh, with what we're doing. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. I mean, uh, to a certain extent you want to change one thing at a time. If you're, if you got a long time, Yep. to study your business. But if, if you're coming in and you're going to completely change the culture of the property, yep. you got to do a lot of changes at once. Yeah, and that was the big thing with this property. We wanted to change the culture, right? The, the feel of this property, what people thought of the property was negative. It's just a negative property in the community. And so we wanted to change that. So we wanted to do the right things. We rebranded it. We did all the stuff I already talked about. And we're changing the culture of that property. So now when people talk about our property, they think good things, not bad things that they thought previously. Yeah. And so we took the let's the shotgun approach. Let's throw it all 
out there and make a big impact. And then the other, the one other way, John, where you can really measure is how long are our tenants staying, right? So we want our tenants to stay for as long as we possibly can because turnover is expensive. That's one of our most expensive things mm-hmm. is turnover costs. So we want to make sure they stay for a long time. So the more community you can build, the more things you can give your tenants, the, the longer they're going to stay. If yeah. they feel respected, uh, that's important. Yep, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so the next thing I want to talk to you about is the property manager or management company. Yeah. And obviously, you've got some experience uh, managing your own properties locally here. For your out-of-state properties, you've hired third-party managers. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, another thing people talk about is kind of vertically integrating, their, having their own management company yeah. that they manage. Um, when you look at these kind of three different options, um, what are some pros and cons that are, are really important to consider? Uh, well, I think you have to consider where you're at and where your skill sets are at, right? Uh, I think that's the first and foremost. And, and for me, I've chosen not to self-manage my out-of-state properties and really my in-state properties. Uh, The only reason I self-manage them is essentially because we've already built the process and systems and it was kind of first out of not really knowing any better, right? Uh, But as I purchase more properties locally in-state, I will not be self-managing those properties. They will be third-party management. And for me, it's because it's not our skill set. Our skill set is finding and acquiring value-add properties and executing that part of the business plan. It's not managing the tenants and and the day-to-day and the systems in that portion. So I'm gonna leave that up to another team. Um, And we're all about growth, right? So right now we're trying to grow our business. And so that's what's valuable for us right now. Now, I'm not gonna say sometime in the future, we're not gonna bring management in-house because maybe we will, but that's not gonna be my focus. My focus would be on still continue to grow the business and I would probably either bring in a business partner or bring in um, you know somebody that's the, the president of that you know company yeah um, so I think you've got to uh, honest just go back to your question you've just got to decide what's what's a value to you and and then what's going to grow your business too and how do you want it to grow and for me, I don't want to be in the property management business. That's not a business I am attracted to. And so it's not going to be a business I'm probably going to be very successful at right now. Yeah. Well, that goes back to the kind of business planning. Uh, I suppose when you start out planning out your business, you got to, like you said, identify your strengths, your weaknesses, what's the best value uh, or, you know, highest and best use of your time. Yeah. So, um, and play towards those higher and best uses. Exactly. Absolutely. So, um, as you are talking to third-party managers to hire out of state or maybe for the future acquisition here locally, what are some key things that you um, ask them and and investigate about them? Because really there's so many companies, it can be Mm -hmm. kind of uh, overwhelming to make a good choice. But, you know, what do you look for in a good management company? Um, Well, First of all, I want to make sure they know what they're doing. And by that, I don't mean they know how to manage. By that, I mean, what are they managing? Like, do they know what they're actually focused on? Or are they focused on everything? Are they willing to take my single family properties, but I want them to manage a 200 unit building? Like, 
if they're willing to take on my single family properties, yet they're also willing to take on my 200 unit building, I know they're not good at one or the other. So which one are they good at? What am I trusting them with? So that's really important. And I, I have this exact experience. I had a property management company um, who was, I would not give them an A on large properties, but I would say they were decent at large property management. And they took on several of my smaller properties. These were like 10 to 20 unit properties. And they did a horrible job, a terrible job at that. I would give them an F on that. And and, and it's my fault for kind of forcing them to take it on because, first of all, they didn't want to. Um, but I kind of forced them into it, and they took that on, and they did a terrible job, and they failed at it. And I had to fire them and get somebody else on it, which they were actually happy to be fired. Um, but that just shows you that you have to have a focus. And then are they, what are you focused on? Like, Are you focused on core assets, A-class, core, or are you focused on that? B and C class value add um, that I'm actually doing. That's totally different. So that's, I think, first and foremost, number one is just asking them questions that get those answers to figure, okay, what are they focused on? 100%. Okay, so that that's, that's going to be super important. Getting referrals is very important. I want to know if they say, yeah, we can do value add. We've done it before. Well, okay, I want to know who they've done it for. I want to get that person's name. I want to go view those properties. That's huge. Can I secret shop some of their properties? Do I have a list and an understanding of who they've actually done business with? And can I, can I send somebody or can I do it myself, secret shop their properties? Because if their properties are junk, when I go to them, when you know the occupancy is terrible, the tenants hate the management, that type of thing, they're probably not a manager you want to be using yourself. Because even if they can tell you all the right things, you can see that they're not actually acting on it the way you want. And if I can see if you go to 10 properties and one of them is in terrible condition, you ask them why and they say, oh, it's because the owner is, is not releasing any money. We can't do anything about it. Sure. But if you go to 10 properties and eight or nine of them are like that and they, they blame it on the owners, well... I call BS, right? Sure. So I think that's important too, is walking their properties, getting to know them, asking them what their niche is. Um, those, those, in my opinion, are the most important things. Of course, we want to talk about fees and you know um, software that they're using and how they're advertising and all that kind of stuff, the nitty gritty stuff. But on the surface, we don't talk about the big things. Yeah, I can see how that's that's really important because most property management representatives when you talk to them initially they'll say yeah we can do everything right um you know yeah. whatever it is we we manage from the small condo up to the large building and you get that all the time yeah but you really need to dig into that and make sure what your uh what property type you have matches what they currently have so for you property managers out there understand you need to have a niche right you need to know like what are you actually focusing on because I don't want to use you if you don't have a focus. Like You need to have a focus. I think you're going to grow your business that much greater if you have a true, true focus. Mm -hmm. Yep. That's a business lesson that a lot of us need to learn. Right. To have a focus. Because yeah. we all try to be everything to everybody sometimes. Well, And because we think, oh, man, if, if, if I can think of, oh, there's 
these property owners that own 50 to 100 units, if I focus on them, there's only X amount of them. But if I focus on the guys that are, you know, have, have uh, duplexes all the way to 100 units, think of how many more people I can rake in. Yeah. Well, guess what? You're going you're gonna to do a terrible job at it, and so you're going to get less business, and you're going to spend more money. And so your ROI is going to go way down. Yeah. So, Well, once you've selected your manager and, and you're kind of helping them, you know, implement your business plan, mm-hmm. how frequently do you talk to them? Uh, minimum once a week. Uh, it's typically more. I, I don't know if there's any property managers I don't at least communicate with at least two to three times a week, um, every single week. So we have a weekly call that's scheduled. Um, and every once in a while, those will get canceled because of whatever reasons. But for the most part, those are every single week. And then we always have email communication throughout the week um, and maybe have some phone calls even throughout as well. Um, uh, my property manager emails me once a week as well with the reports and updates. Um, and then, you know, again, text messages, emails, whatever else throughout the week. So I would say on an average week, we're communicating with each, with each other probably three to five times a week. Well, and would you say that it's, well, first of all, I would say that's pretty frequent. You know, you're talking a yeah. lot. And would you say that's because of the number of units that are under management there? Or is it, would that uh, be the same if... It's, it's probably more or less because of the value-add strategy that we're doing. And so okay. there needs a lot more... Uh, hands-on, a lot more decision-making, a lot more guidance. Um, if we're buying core stable assets or once we complete the value add, then the communication goes down a little bit okay. for sure. Those emails are probably less frequent. We're still doing the weekly call, but they're shorter. Um, so, you know, right now our weekly calls are typically between an hour and an hour and a half, I would say. Uh, but as the building gets more stabilized, those weekly calls get shorter and shorter. Um, the more stable they get. So, yeah. yeah. And I, uh, let me, I'm not only talking with like the owner of the company, right? I'm talking with typically the regional manager and the on-site staff. And then I might, some of these other, that's like the weekly call. Some of these other calls, emails, texts might just be with like one of my on-site staff persons. So it might not be with everybody all the time. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Um, and then do you ever have like a tension between um, kind of micromanaging what your management company is doing versus kind of letting them do their job and, and be successful at it? Um, I don't think, I don't think so. Um, at least I hope not. I try not to micromanage people because I've, I've throughout the years I've learned that I'm not the smartest person in the room. Right. And uh, I need to let other people do their jobs. And so I've learned and it's taken a long time. And it's it's you know, I've been doing this business for a while now. So it's not like I learned it day one, but you've got to let people do their job and you can offer suggestions. But you got to be careful, too, with how you're approaching them. Uh, I try to make sure I'm not sounding like the expert. I'm allowing them to still be the expert. And I'm giving suggestions to um, maybe help the property operate better. But I'm not trying to take over their job. That's, you're going to only lose doing that. Yeah. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, so these, these weekly check-ins, you're, you're checking, up, checking up on them, mm-hmm. and, um, but not necessarily telling them every detail of how to do their, 
their job? No, it's a, a lot of questions, uh, a lot of, you know, how are we going about this? Oh, I, you know what? That sounds great. I'd like to maybe see if we could do this. What do you think about that? There's a lot of that type of dialogue going on. Um, and they ask me my advice too, because they know that I've, you know, got a lot of experience. So it's, it's a, it's, it's a dialogue. It's not me telling them what to do. It's trying to figure out where they're at, how we can continue the process, how we can speed the process along, um, and really coming up with a, a winning formula. Yeah. You know, we might experiment on one property, something that I saw some other property owner do or whatever, and then we've got dialogue, we've got feedback. We can decide if it's it's a good plan for our property or not. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, what key performance indicators or KPIs are you looking at frequently either at that weekly call or maybe even you know monthly quarterly or whatever it might be yeah i mean for sure we're looking at our occupancy rates we're looking at our actually physical occupancy we're looking at our economic occupancy we're looking at our concessions we're looking at our bad debt so we're looking at all of that um we're looking at our rental income uh rental rates um, what we're getting for that what kind of feedback we're getting from the market on that where we do minimum of quarterly um, shop on the, the properties nearby, and so we're paying attention to what they're what they're advertising their rent for, what they're actually achieving their rents at, what their occupancy levels are at, um, you know, what their maybe new programs if they've got any that they're incentivizing tenants with, all of that kind of stuff. So we're we're paying attention to that, but as far as what were key performance indicators, we're really looking at the occupancy on our rental income, on our expenses. Um, uh, do we have any expenses that are all aligned? Um, and I'm trying to think if there's anything else. I mean, those are the main things. Uh, we're also doing value add, so we're always looking at what what our expenses are on that side as well. Sure, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and then, oh, we're looking at too what kind of. Um, you know, we've got we've got vacant units, right? So we want to make sure we're getting tenants that are actually coming to the door, right? Putting in applications, what kind of feedback, um, and then you know how many are actually applying and how many are qualifying. So we look at that as well. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. There's quite a lot of different numbers you can analyze right. and track. Right. Um, yeah. It's important to understand it all because we want to make sure our properties performing really well, right? <laughs> we, yeah. got, we got investors that we put in all our properties, so they want to make money. Yeah. When you um, are tracking these numbers, do you have kind of a report that the a manager gives you that's kind of like a one-page, high-level, you know, graphs and stuff? Yep, or? yep, yep. It's our, our weekly progress report. So it gives uh, our occupancy, our physical occupancy, our economic occupancy, our con how many concessions we had, uh, and then it gives us, uh, you know, a lot of vacant units, the showings, um, the applications, um, the rejections, the acceptance, um, and then it, we also have a breakdown of all the units that are that are vacant and what their status is, whether it's just a light turn, whether it's a full renovation, if it's full renovation, what does that actually need, that kind of stuff. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's great. To, you know, it, sometimes you can get overwhelmed with all the different things that you could yeah. be tracking. Right. So it's good to have a, a summarized report there. Yep. Yep. And it's a good talking point, too, because we've all, already all seen it, and we can easily talk about, you know, what's going on. Yeah. That makes sense. That's a good way to have your meetings. Right. So. Right. Hey, everybody. 
I'm interrupting the show quick to make sure you know about the North Star Real Estate Conference. If you're ready to take your real estate investing career to the next level, then you need to attend this two-day event on April 24th and 25th. We have both local and national experts presenting on finding deals, flipping houses, multifamily syndication, commercial investing, creative deal-making, and so much more. Whether you're brand new to real estate or you've been in it for years, there is something for everybody at this conference. In addition to the great content, we have prioritized networking so that you can grow your real estate team. So click the link in the show notes to buy your ticket today, and I'll see you there. Now, I know this answer can vary widely depending on uh, the stage of uh, the property, whether it's in value add, in process, or if it's stabilized and probably even the size of the property and if you have on-site management versus not. But the question is, uh, how frequently do you recommend visiting the property as the owner? Uh, yeah, man, that's that's kind of up to you and, and how comfortable you feel like you are with your team. And I would say also the flow of the property, how things are actually going. Um, I typically val- visit my properties minimum of quarterly, but I would say... If you really break it down, it's more like once every two months. Okay. And that I would guess that's, again, because you're doing a lot of value add. Yeah, doing a lot of value add. Um, and then, you know, look, I'm active in the market. So if I'm going to be in the market, I'm going to visit the property. Some visits might be longer visits. Some visits might be very short visits. I mean, the last time I was in one of... One of the markets, uh, we did a drive-through of the property. We stopped at the office. We talked for a little bit. We went into one unit, and we were out. So we were in and out of there in about 30, 35 minutes. So some, some of them might be quick. Yeah. Uh, we had a lot to do that day, so we didn't have a lot of time. Yeah. And we wanted to stop by quick and, and poke our head in and make sure our presence is there. Yeah. Well, I think this is an important topic to just cover, even briefly, because Again, if we look at the properties that have fallen into disarray, most likely those owners haven't been there for a while. Yeah, yeah, I would say so. I, I, even if, and it doesn't necessarily mean an in-state owner or out-of-state owner. I mean, it could be an in-state owner, it could be a local owner that just doesn't uh, just doesn't pay attention. Yeah. yeah, so very important. So one of the things that you've talked a lot about is just the value-add prop uh, portion of your business plan. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you budget for those capital improvements, either initially um, at the initial value add and then ongoing? How do you make sure that when in five, seven years it needs something else that you're prepared for that? Yeah, good question. Some people think you should or you can pay for value add, pay for your renovations out of cash flow. And I think that's a big mistake. And I, I hear frequently by people thinking that they're going to make great cash flow so they're going to pay for capex out of that cash flow you have to have that money up front in my opinion so you have to figure out what your budget's going to be and and by the way when we're talking budgets make sure you're really paying attention to your budget and i would over budget i would rather i syndicate so i'm raising money from investors i would rather raise too much money and give my investors money back than have to ask for more money Right. So and that's anybody can make that mistake and things happen. So that might have to happen. But if we can avoid it, let's do it. Right. So when we budget, we want to budget properly all of the stuff up front that we're going to be doing to the property. Now, when we're talking about ongoing. First of all, we have what's called a reserve account. 
And then, so I, when I do a reserve account, I do a reserve account up front, and it's going to be based on the stabilization of the property and what's going on and how old the property is. So it's going to be anywhere from about six to 12 months worth of principal and interest payments that I'm going to have into an escrow account up front. Okay, so that's just going to go into an account that's not going to get touched unless we absolutely need it. Then what we're going to do is we're going to put another $300 per unit per year into that account and continue to grow that. So if we got 100 units, right, we're putting 300 per unit per year into that. So we're putting $30,000 into that account. Okay, and that's not going to get touched unless it's real CapEx. So by real CapEx, we're talking that roof that needs to be replaced or the water heater that goes out of the furnace or boiler or whatever it is, some big ticket items that we're going to actually budget for. Yeah. Well, that's an important aspect again. And I think uh, a lot of people just don't budget for you. Like you mentioned earlier, just pay for those expenses as they come up out of the cash flow. Yeah. It's never a win. So very good. Um, and then talking about the ongoing maintenance, how do you monitor maintenance so that for one, you make sure your work is getting done. Mm -hmm. For two, you make sure it's being done to a good quality level. Uh, for three, you make sure it was needed in the first place. You know, there's all these things that uh, could go wrong with maintenance and handymen yeah. and contractors. So how do you make sure that it's going well? Um, yeah, checks and balances, right? You've got to have other people in charge than just the maintenance person. You have to make sure there's, there's people in place to, to make sure that things are going right. Uh, and expectations, right? And so and making sure that everything's being, everything's actually being recorded properly too. I think that's really important. So what kind of system do we have in place to make sure that the repairs are actually getting recorded properly? We're making the right notes. They're actually getting done, right? So we have a tenant complaint that there's X, Y, or Z that needs to happen or, or whatever, or an inspection complaint, whatever it is. Um, and then what's our process to ensure that that's actually getting done? So we want to make sure that the tenant initials, if it's a tenant complaint, the tenant initials that the work has been completed, the uh, maintenance person initials that the work has been completed and it's all dated and then it gets turned in and and then billed right we want to make sure all that's being done properly we want to make sure we have our on-site staff that's not the maintenance looking at those items to ensure that that's been done so their initials go on it as well and we want to make sure the regional is paying attention to what's going on and, and looks at that stuff to make sure it's actually getting done and if that repair comes up the same thing a month later uh, we obviously know we've got some issues of you know, who's being held accountable for those. Yeah. Um, so we want to obviously make sure as much as we can that the repairs and maintenance are actually getting done. That's a big thing I see, uh, you know, I think that, that happens a lot is, is you might get charged for it, but it doesn't mean it was done or done right. right. And we have to have clear expectations with our maintenance people too. Okay. Like if our maintenance people don't understand what, if, if our maintenance people have that mindset because they worked for some other property owner, right? So they have that mindset of, of these are tenants and we're going to do things to tenant quality. And so they're just cheapskates and they just slap crap together. And if we haven't clearly shown or given them our expectations, or maybe they just don't care and they still do it that way, well, then they might need to get fired. But we need to get fired if we're not giving them clear expectations, right? 
we need to make sure they understand what needs to be done to the property in order to get good results, the results we're looking for. So it's all about communication at the start. Yeah. So to set those expectations with the different, whether it be a maintenance handyman or a contractor or whatever, how do you do that? Do you have like a, a, a manual that uh, these are our expectations for being on our property or... You know, I don't have a manual per se. Um, the like my property management company that I my property management companies that I hire do have that, but I also meet with them. I have a meeting with all the staff that's on site and make sure they understand what I'm looking for. They, I want them to make sure they understand that I actually care about my tenants and I actually want this to be a great place for them to live. So if they don't understand that they might not treat it that way. So we want to make sure that they understand what our expectations are in the first part. So I think really important is to be meeting with, and so when we go to the property to do our, our walkthroughs and stuff like that, we're meeting with them. We're thanking them for the quality job they're doing. We're showing them what we expect. We're, we're treating them the way we would expect to be treated and we're communicating with them and we're making sure that they're doing the same with the tenants. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, setting that culture with your staff, with the maintenance people so that, you know, the customer service you want to provide to the tenants can get communicated yeah. all the way through. Yeah. So very yeah, good. Absolutely. Um, now talking about maybe getting ready to sell one of your rental properties is there anything you would do maintenance-wise or capital improvement-wise when you're maybe one year out, six months out, three months out, yeah. to just make sure that you're maximizing that sale? Yeah, first of all, I would do it uh, one to six months. Six, six months to a year out, I wouldn't do it that three months because the banks are looking at three months, right? They're looking at the T3 in order to qualify the property. So, and then the investors oftentimes are looking at that. So if I'm gonna do my capital improvements, I'm gonna do them a year plus out, because people will look at a T12, then they'll look at a T6, then they'll look at a T3. So if I can do some of the big ticket items, we'll have to call it 18 months out, I'm gonna take care of that. Then if we got any any other little items, we're gonna take care of those as, as early on in advance as possible. So we're gonna do the, make sure the landscaping's in order. The biggest things are like the visual stuff, right? So I want to make sure the landscaping looks pretty. I want to make sure the uh, you know there's no peeling paint and the siding's in good condition and you know that type. The hallways are nice and clean. They're painted. Um, so I want to basically beautify my property on the surface as much as I can. So that way, when somebody's coming in, they look at that as a nice property. And I know people go, "Oh, it's all based on financials." Uh, no, no. It's, it, it is partly based on financials, but people are emotional creatures and they're buying on their emotional feel. If they come into a property and they feel that the property is nice and well kept, they're going to pay more than if they feel there's deferred maintenance. And trust me, I mean, I'm looking right here and there's scuffs on the wall. If I walk into a building, there's scuffs on the wall, there's a nail sticking out of the wall, and I look at that and I go, oh my gosh, there's a lot of work to do here. Where if that wall was painted and there wasn't the nail sticking out, I go, wow, this place is really nice. There's nothing to do, right? Yeah. But all of a sudden I value and I go, oh, geez, we're going to have to spend five grand on paint. You know, or it's like, okay, whatever. Yeah, you know? yeah and, and buyers going into a property will, you know, expand the budget 
I mean, because they they have to plan for worst case scenario. Right, right. They're going to take maybe get three bids and and take the highest one when they're budgeting. Yeah. Um, yeah, so. you're not trying to deceive anybody, but I mean, it's just reality. I mean, if you if you have a good, clean looking property, people will think there's nothing to do or very little to do. Where if you've got a property that's just dirty. It just has to be dirty. Doesn't even have to be like it doesn't have to be anything other than that. Like if you haven't cleaned it, uh, and the landscaping's in poor condition. I mean, right there, they, all of a sudden they think there's hundreds of thousand dollars worth of work to do. When in reality, it's pretty little. You yeah. Know? Yep. Yeah, and you're pretty well if you can plan ahead for it. Like you said, a year in advance, six yeah. months in advance, whatever it might be. You know, and and spread that if there's small expenses, spread it out over a few months, then it's not going to hit your bottom line hard. Yep. And uh, you can probably get better prices because you've already got your systems, your maintenance people, all that in place. Yep. So yep. you're going to be able to get it done for cheaper than if the new buyer coming in probably. Well, and, and even if even if it's not, the perception is there. Right. You know. Yeah, and that's what matters when you're selling a property. It's perception. Perception, right. Yeah, very good. Um. So obviously, there's a lot of benefits of being a landlord, owning rental property, having passive income. But at the same time, it's not all roses and rainbows. Um, (laughs) I was wondering if you would be willing to share an experience in your uh, business that was like surprisingly difficult. And how did you learn from it? Uh, Do you want me to share like a a tenant landlord story? You want me to share? What do you want me to share? Yeah, let's go with that. Tenant landlord. (laughs) Tenant landlord. I mean, there's... Look, there's all kinds of stuff. So I could probably go on for, we could make this like a six hour episode. If you, if you, do you want to do that? No. Six hour episode? Just one okay. quick one. So one quick one. Um, I had a tenant and this was when I was self-managing everything and actually doing everything myself. Um, I had a tenant that called, complained that their basement was flooding and I was a little curious because it wasn't, uh, wasn't a rainy time or anything like that and the basement never flooded before. So anyways, I went over there and, and uh, I got my dress shoes on and I'm, you know, walked down to the basement and uh, sure enough, there's water all over the basement and there's some uneven floor. So I step into kind of a spot that didn't have water in it and kind of walk around and I'm trying to figure out what's going on and I'm in a little bit of the water, but as I look, I'm like, oh no. So I yell up to, I can't remember the test name, I yell up to the tenant and say, hey, can you flush the toilet? And she flushes the toilet and sure enough, out of the out of the stack comes there's a crack in there and or a hole actually and out comes poop and uh, and that's what it was it was a sewer backup and there was for the most part about three to four inches in most of the basement full of poop water and so I had to I had at the time I was doing a lot of flipping so I had some younger people working for me so I had them come in, gave them full like hazmat type suits, and they came in and pumped the water out and bagged the poop. And they had to do, I think it was like six or seven bags of oh. poop that they had to haul out of the house and get rid of. And that was in my tenant's property for like weeks, and oh. she didn't report it to me. Oh my. And there was poop water floating in her basement. So. The joys of being a landlord Thank sometimes. Thank you for ruining our appetites. For yeah, that. hopefully people are eating this at lunchtime. They're <laughs> listening to this at lunchtime, eating, eating their lunch. Yeah. Oh, so what did you learn from it? Well, uh, you know, I would I would just say being on top of your tenants, communicating, making sure they understand they've got to report repairs. 
Uh, something that we've tried to drill through our tenants' uh, heads now as reporting repairs, making it easy for them to do. Now they don't have to call us. They can just put it into an online system um, and then making sure they know what's important. And then getting to repairs very quickly. See, every time we don't get to the repairs quickly, our tenants think that we won't get to the repair. So why would they even put it in? Mm-hmm. You know, Or why would they be quick about putting it in? Because we're not going to get there anyway for you know a week or so. So we want to be as quick as we can when that repair comes in. We want to get to it right away. And then, like, yeah, communication. Like, yeah, this is important, you know. Yeah. So, yeah. Some tenants be- think, John, that they're bothering you. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, it's crazy. They're like, oh, yeah, you know, it, it's been like this for a while. Literally, this was actually fairly recently. Um, my maintenance guy went to do, uh, we do, and we do, sorry, not annual. We do two checks each year. Okay, so one of my maintenance guys goes to this property and he's walking around talking with the tenant and there's an extension cord plugged in for the for the uh, refrigerator. And what's going on here? Oh, yeah, it won't work. It's been like that for, for a long time. He goes downstairs, flips the breaker, plugs it in. Sure enough, it works. You know, no, no big deal. Toilet. Like, oh, yeah, toilet hasn't been working. Well, how long is it? Oh, like six months. They're taking a bucket of water. They're filling the bucket of water uh, from the tub. And they're dumping it into the toilet so they can flush the toilet. They've got the water turned off. Very simple uh, fix. He had to go to Home Depot and buy the, the guts for the toilet, put new guts in, and now the toilet's working. Yep. You know, super simple, but they didn't want to bother us because they felt bad. So instead, they're filling a bucket up of water to dump into the toilet yep. to flush it. They got an extension cord, which is a safety hazard. Right, it's crazy, crazy. So communication is huge. Yep, that's a huge uh, thing that I think people run into all the time with rental properties, and it's really important. I mean, if somebody's just dealing with a maintenance concern, just putting up with it, and then when the next one comes along, they're just gonna put up with that one. Then the next one comes along, so it just it gets worse and worse. Yeah. So and it's in your property. Oh my gosh, it it just the amount of work that it would have taken just to do that first repair is so much less than all of a sudden now we've got six months worth of repairs. And the, when it started was, you know, a, a $20 repair to now it's a, a $300 repair. Yep. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So that's again, going back to why I, I I'm asking these types of questions about how frequently do you visit and how do you communicate? Yep. You know, cause I think those are key to avoiding some of those big issues. So. Yeah. And even though I only visit once every couple months, you know, on my bigger properties, we've got on-site staff, right? So they're there every day and they're going into tennis units quite frequently. We do, we do monthly maintenance checks into all of our, all of our units on my apartment complexes. Really? So the maintenance people do. Okay. And it's very quick. It's not like they're spending a lot of time, but they walk through, they look at the stuff that's commonly going wrong. So they look at the furnace filter, make sure that's being replaced. They they uh, check the check the plumbing, check the fixtures, check the toilets, um, and check the light fixtures, some smoke detectors, and that's it. And then they walk out. You know if they see anything crazy, of course, but uh, but that's it. It's super quick. It doesn't take very long, but make sure that our properties are being taken care of. Yeah. Water leaks. Oh my gosh! In apartment buildings, especially, those can cost so much money. It's crazy. Right. It's crazy right. how much money those can cost. No, I'm, I'm actually a little surprised how frequently monthly that the maintenance people go in there. Do you get any pushback from tenants about like, oh, you guys are always up in my business? <laughs> no, 
No, because it's an expectation right from the start. Okay. Yeah. And, and they're not there for a long time, right? They're basically in and out. Well, and hopefully it can be utilized as a, a positive connection and communication with the tenant. Yeah. You know, may, they may or may not be home, but if, if they are home... Yeah, most of the tenants aren't even home, right, during that time. Sure, okay. Yeah. But even they can leave a note, say, we did our our monthly maintenance check, everything looks good, hope you're enjoying your place. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, that, yeah, that's great. Um, one of the last things I want to ask you about is... Uh, you know, some people buy their properties and they plan to keep them for life. They plan to pass the properties down to the next generation and, and hope that yeah. it'll just be kind of generational wealth. And other people, obviously, and I know a lot of your business plan is to have a designated kind of sell time frame around seven years or so, I understand. Yep. And, um, but how do you know what's what's right for you? What, what difference does it make? Um, why wouldn't you just keep it and kind of refinance it every once in a while to cash out versus selling it off? Uh, well, first of all, don't keep your properties for legacy uh, because then you won't be able to sell them to me. <laughs> uh, no, so there's a couple real big reasons why you would want to keep a property for legacy. Uh, first of all, real estate has a beautiful thing called depreciation, right? And depreciation runs out. So you can only depreciate your asset for about for, for less than 30 years, right? And if you do CASAG and whatever, but for less than 30 years, you can depreciate your, your, your property. And so if you keep it for longer than that, you have no tax benefits of depreciation. So that's one reason. Uh, the second reason is we, so what, what my model is, and, uh, is to take a property and to renovate it and to decrease expenses and all that kind of stuff. And, Increase my NOI. So immediately once I have that property stable, fully stabilized, that value is the highest it'll ever be on an NOI basis. Now it might go up because of appreciation and all that kind of stuff. But I'm saying that value it, compared to today is the highest it'll ever be. After that happens, my rents aren't going to go up as high, as exponentially high, unless I continue to renovate to today's standards. So Tastes change quickly, so that's going to be constant renovations. And my expenses are going to continually go up. And, and it's not going to be a one-to-one -one ratio. Okay, My expenses are going to go up faster as a percentage base than my income. Okay, It's just how it is, always. Uh, well, unless it's today's market where we've got crazy high rents. But overall, uh, when we look at a typical market, that's what happens. And so we're going to start to have outdated cabinets, appliances, fixtures. And we just did them 10 years ago, right? I look at my properties now that are renovated 10 years ago. The tile isn't updated. The paint isn't updated. Um, you know, just the furnace is now 10 years old. Uh, so things aren't as new, so they're not worth as much money. So people go into that property and go, hey, we got to buy this as a value add. Yeah. And you go, well, I just updated it 10 years ago. Well, that's because things change. <laughs> I love that when sellers say, I just updated Everything's renovated. And you look at it, it's like 10 years ago. <laughs> right. And I have to realize that now for myself, like as I'm listing these, looking at some of my smaller properties, I'm listing them and I'm going, oh, we just updated 10 years ago. Okay. Okay. So it was recently updated 10 years ago. You will have to probably do some more stuff to it if you want to get it yeah. up to today's date. So that's something you've got to look at is that, 
your va the value of the property, you're maximizing it once you do that value add, and it's it's pretty much right away. Um, you know, the the other reason is your your capital. If your capital is is moving, is fluid. It's going to be able to make more money. You're going to be able to take it from one property, move it into the other, and your the profits that you get from that one property that you move it into the other, plus your principal, is going to buy a larger property with more value, and and you're going to be able to continue to do the same and or multiply those properties. So if I look at what I started with, with with you know that one first property, was able to then multiply that, and spread that out. I couldn't have done that just without without selling you can maybe refinance and have a good opportunity but refinance you only get a certain amount out so yeah. in 1031 exchange you're getting the whole value out you can then move it over to the next property so legacy is okay i i like exchanging properties i think that adds even more value um, if you can continue to move your assets around yeah all right well that that makes sense i appreciate your perspective on that i myself am just wondering about some of my older properties because i've i've come from a mindset of i just want to buy and hold forever yeah yep. and uh but i'm wondering if that's the best thing to continue with yeah I, you know i get that mindset and i have more of a longer term mindset as well um my my properties are that five to seven year because i've got investors but without investors i might be more like a a 10 to 12 year type of person, but I still see way too much value in selling and moving up or even sideways, but selling and moving that money. And when I look at what I can do with the equity that I've built and the cash flow actually go up and the work will go down, like why wouldn't it? Why would I do it? Yeah. Yep. Makes sense. All right, Todd. Well, we're going to wrap things up here. Um, so I just have a couple of questions to let the audience get to know you a little bit better. Okay. So uh, first question is, why do you get up in the morning? Uh, because I have to. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um, I get up because uh, I, I, I just, I, I guess I love every day, man. I just uh, I look forward to the next day and the next challenges, um, you know, seeing my family, of course. And uh, yeah, just love every day. Very good. Um, and what event or person in your past was monumental in creating who you are today? Man, um, obviously I could go with the uh, the mom and dad, which is 100% true. Uh, there's a lot of people that have positively affected me, so I could, I could name a ton. I'm going to go back to my sixth grade teacher. I think his, you know, sixth grade teacher, yeah, Mr. Abrahamson. And uh, I was kind of a troublemaker in sixth grade for some reason. I, I thought I was a kind of a badass, if I can say that on here. And, uh, and Mr. Abrahamson sat me down after causing some trouble and uh, kept me after school. And I can't remember exactly what he said, but basically he's like, this isn't who you are. I know who you are. I know your brothers and sisters, and this isn't who you are. You need to figure out who you are and, and change and, and get, back to, get back to you. And uh, I stopped hanging out with the kids I was hanging out with, causing problems with, and uh, and went back to who I was. And that, uh, you know, that sticks today. And anytime I maybe get off track, I think, is this who I am? So Yeah. Well, that's a good reminder for all of us to, you know, go ahead and speak truth into people's lives and right. um, 
help each help each other out. He definitely. I don't know where I would have gone. I wasn't to the point of like doing crazy things, but I he definitely knocked some sense into me. Yeah, yeah. that's good. <laughs> All right, and then uh, what's the best way that people should uh, get in touch with you if they want to learn more about your business? Uh, yeah, so I've got a lot going on, so it depends on what they want to talk about. But if they want to talk more about investing, what that looks like, I've got a website. It's called VentureDProperties.com, VentureDProperties.com. And on there, I actually have a free ebook uh, they can take a look at. It talks about multifamily, it talks about syndication, and, and what the benefits of those are. Uh, my podcast is Pillars of Wealth Creation. You mentioned that before, so I appreciate that. Uh, they can they can uh, go to pillarsofwealthcreation.com. They can find it wherever they find uh, this and, and any other podcasts. Uh, and then I've got my coaching that I do as well. So it's coachwithdex.com if they want to learn more about what that looks like and how I can help people along uh, the journey. And the last is North Star Real Estate Conference, John. They can go to nreconference.com. And uh, there's a promo code STYLES, right, that they can get $100 off on. That's true. Or promo code DEX. We'll just keep it at STYLES. <laughs> whatever, whatever works. So uh, very good. Well, uh, Todd, I want to thank you again for taking the time out of your busy schedule to join me in studio. I do have a small gift as a token of my appreciation. All right. The official yeah. Maximizing Your Property Value mug. I like it. Cool. You Thanks, more likely John. to put uh, coffee, tea, water, something else in there. I'll put beer in there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Very good. Well, to our audience, thank you so much for checking out this episode. I'm sure that you got a lot out of it, a lot of valuable information for operating your rental properties. So uh, feel free to comment below. We'd like to interact and see who is listening and watching. So let us know what was a key takeaway that you had. And go ahead and share it out. We'd love to get the message out to more and more people. So that is all for today. Thank you so much for watching. Thank you, Todd, for coming in. Yeah, John. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. See you next time. The opinions shared on this show are for informational purposes only and should not be taken as a solicitation for representation or investment in any specific offering. Please consult with your financial, legal, tax, and real estate advisor before making any investment decisions. John Stiles is a licensed Minnesota real estate agent with Bridge Realty. Thanks for tuning in to Maximizing Your Property Value, the apartment owner's guide to operating rental properties as a successful business. If you're considering scaling up, downsizing, or right-sizing your real estate investment portfolio, it's important to know how to determine your property's value in today's market. That's why I've put together a free ebook for you called How to Calculate Your Investment Property's Value. To get your copy, go to www.realestatestyles.com forward slash value. Now, if you found any value in today's show, be sure to subscribe to our email newsletter, YouTube channel, and podcast through your favorite podcast player. All the links are in the show notes. And would you do me a big favor? Help me get the word out about this show by sharing with your friends on Facebook and LinkedIn. And lastly, we appreciate your five-star rating on iTunes. I really appreciate you and wish you the best in your real estate investing career. Signing off, I'm John Stiles with Bridge Realty. Make it a great day.